Last week, we looked at the seventh commandment of community. We've been going through a series here at the church talking about the Ten Commandments of community and how that uh, these help us in our relationships. And last week, we looked at the seventh commandment, which was avoid idolatry. And I was honest with you last week to tell you that that's a heavy topic. Uh, and it was a hard topic to preach. And it was a hard topic to write a sermon for. And all week long, I struggled with trying to write that sermon. And really, all week, I kept thinking back enviously of the week before and the sixth commandment, the one about loving sacrificially, because that week I just got to basically stand up here and tell you how much God loves you. And I love that sermon and I loved writing that sermon. And I love giving that sermon because who doesn't like telling people that God loves them? But last week's sermon, having to talk seriously about sexual immorality and greed and identify that as idolatry, that was a heavy subject and it was Difficult to preach and difficult to hear. But one thing I noticed that was a surprise to me as I compared last week's sermon on idolatry with the week before on loving others and God's love for us, the thing that really, in fact, shocked me in thinking about those two services was the difference in response the week in which we talked about God's love, God was certainly present in that message and in the service and he was communicating his love. But last week's response was overwhelming. That from the moment the service ended, all week long, there was interactions and emails that I received from people that were filled with thanksgiving as God had been using that sermon and other things to rescue people out of idolatry. One of the emails that I got that was just impactful to me, I thought I would share with you this morning. And this person wrote and said, Hi Jim, I wish I had heard a sermon like this one on sexual immorality and greed when I was dating and after I got engaged. I was an associate member, that was our terminology last week for a Christian who was involved in uh, sexual immorality or greed. I was an associate member and I remember always feeling so miserable, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Like there was always a dark cloud hanging over me. I felt so lost and so fake because what others saw was a good little Christian girl, but I was so scared. I believed 100% the lies of the enemy that if anyone knew, I would be cast out. It made me pull away from community. You're right, when not in community, it is so much easier to be pulled back into sin. I hated myself. And even after we were married, I still hated myself for what I had done. After almost 10 years of keeping it inside, I confessed it out loud to some godly people I could trust. I was waiting for them to beat me over the head. And what I got was something totally unexpected. Love, forgiveness, and the baby steps of healing. One of them actually stood up immediately, opened scripture and read the verse from Isaiah that says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. 
Those were the first words spoken to me after I openly confessed. I was amazed. I am sure there are many couples who right now are struggling and are hiding out in fear. I pray that after this morning they will step out and will experience freedom in Christ and not live so many years how I did, defeated. And then she adds, how exciting that would be. What I was reminded this week is that although it is difficult to deliver a message about immorality or about greed or about anger, about sin in general, that there can actually be incredible joy that comes when God rescues you out of darkness. You can hear it in her voice as she's thinking through the prison she was in, in her sinful behavior, and the chance that somebody else might be set free from that and rescued out of that. And all of a sudden you realize there can be incredible power and joy when God rescues somebody out of sin. And not only is there joy for the person being rescued, there's also great joy for the rescuer. All week long, I was walking on cloud nine because God had used what had been a very heavy message to rescue people. And when they're writing notes of encouragement and thanks, my heart was just bursting with excitement that I got to be part of this that I got to have the opportunity to tell somebody they were in darkness and to see God use that and the joy that was now in them because of the freedom of having that sin named and them coming out of it. The joy was just, I can't describe it to you. I mean, James 5.20 says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way We'll save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. But this joy of helping rescue somebody, of helping bring somebody out of the slavery to sin, that's not limited to preachers alone. This is an opportunity that God has entrusted to everybody who is a believer in Jesus. And that's why the eighth commandment of community is be light constantly. That we have been entrusted with the opportunity to be light, to rescue those who are trapped in darkness and experience the joy of being rescued and the joy of being a rescuer. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. As you're turning, let me remind you that these Ten Commandments of community are designed by God so that we might have successful relationships in all areas of life, but especially here in the church community. Now, having said that, this Eighth Commandment, be light constantly, that's still true. It's specifically designed for our church community. But this commandment also has some unique applicability to our interactions with non-Christians in our lives. And we'll see that as we look through this commandment together. Verses 8 through 14 of Ephesians 5. Please listen as I read. For you were once darkness, 
But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now Paul begins by telling us that we, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, we are light. That we were once in darkness, but we have become light. And he commands us to walk as children of light. In other words, he says, you're light, now do what light does. Which begs the question, what does light do? Now there's lots of things that light does. But the thing that is on focus here in this passage is light's ability to illuminate the darkness. That's why after he says in verse 8, live as children of light, there's a parenthetical comment and then he follows that up in verse 11 with what specifically he means when he says live as children of light. He says in verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And the word for expose is the word for illuminate or uncover or show to be the case. Paul's saying to us, if we're going to live as children of light, part of our responsibility is to illuminate, expose, and uncover darkness. And so this morning we want to understand better what it is that God is asking us to do as children of light. In order to do that, there are three questions that we need to ask and answer from this text. The first is when we say that as light, we are to illuminate the darkness, what exactly are we illuminating? What are we uncovering? What are we exposing? Second question, for whose benefit are we doing that? And the third question we want to ask and answer this morning from this text is how? How do we go about being light and illuminating or exposing or uncovering the darkness? So let's begin with the first question. What exactly are we supposed to uncover or illuminate? Well, notice in verse 11 where it says at the end, rather expose them. Notice that the beginning of the verse gives us the antecedent to that word. It says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Notice it's not people that are being exposed or illuminated. It's actions and activities. The same is true in verse 12. The focus is not on the disobedient as persons, but on what they are doing. Verse 13, same thing. But everything exposed by the light, not everyone, 
everything. Paul's point is, is that if we are going to be light and we're going to illuminate the darkness, the object that we're shining the light on is not people, but the activities of darkness, sexual immorality, greed, anger, selfishness, gossip, whatever it might be. Paul says our focus is on illuminating those activities and those things. You see, the idea is not that we're out on a witch hunt looking for people and trying to shine the light as brightly on them as if it was a police interrogation. The idea is instead we are highlighting the deeds of darkness. And Paul says we're trying to illuminate the fact that they're fruitless, that there's nothing of value to them, that we're trying to show that these things These activities, nothing good comes of them. There's no value in them. You heard that in my friend's email that I read at the beginning of the sermon. What we're doing is shining the light, not on her, but on the activity of sex before marriage, the activity of greedy behavior, and that when we shine our light on that, that's what Ephesians is talking about. So when we say our job is to be light constantly, And that light's job is to illuminate the darkness. Paul wants us to understand that what we are illuminating are the fruitless deeds of darkness. Showing them to be useless. To be not beneficial. To be harmful. That leads us to the second question. If that's the object that we're trying to illuminate, who are we doing this for? Who is the beneficiary of this action? Or when verse 13 says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, to whom is it becoming visible? The answer to the question is found in verse 14. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That the person for whom we are doing this illuminating, uncovering, exposing activity is the person trapped in those sins. You see, we're not talking about getting a group of Christians together over here in a sort of holy huddle and saying, hey, you don't want to steal. It's a bad idea. Look at those people over there. They're stealing. Nothing good is coming of that. Now, it is true that we want to warn each other against certain kinds of behavior. That's just not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about people who are not struggling with things, getting together and talking about how glad we are we don't struggle with that stuff. What he's talking about is us going to those who are engaged in fruitless deeds of darkness and shining God's light on those activities to help them wake up to the fact that they're trapped in darkness. Now, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about Christians? Or non-Christians? Well, the answer is both. That for the non-Christian, when we come and we highlight the fruitlessness of the activity of sin, that is a means by which God can begin to awaken within their heart the need for a Savior. You see, sometimes we think 
that people who have rejected Christ or are not currently uh, believers in Jesus, that they're perfectly happy in their sinful lifestyle, that they love everything about their life, and that we're coming to them and imposing Jesus upon their absolute happiness. Now, it is true. There are some people who are enmeshed in sinful behavior, and they think they're perfectly happy. But the Bible tells us that God has given to all humans a conscience. And that for many non-Christians, this passage is describing them exactly. There are things in their life that they are ashamed of. Whether that's greed or gossip or anger or whatever it may be. Things they want to keep secret. Things that are eating them up and tearing them apart inside. And what this passage says is that when we come and shine the light on the activity and show it to be fruitless, that this is a means God uses to awaken them to salvation. You see, you can't have a savior if you don't have sin. Nobody needs Jesus. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus until they realize that he can rescue them. And so part of the activity of being light constantly is to help those who are not yet believers in Jesus see that the activities of selfishness, of insecurity, of greed, that these activities bear no fruit whatsoever. But the same is true for Christians. The Christians can be engaged in gossip or in greed and be just as enslaved as a non-Christian. And that when you or I as children of light come and shine God's light on those activities and show them to be fraudulent and fruitless and worthless, that this is a means God uses to awaken people from the slumber in which they are in. Which leads us to the third question. How then do you do this? If the command is, is that we are to be light constantly, which means that we are to illuminate the fruitless deeds of darkness for those who are trapped by them, how do you do it? Well, I think there are two things that our text gives us that God is saying to us how we do that. The first, you can notice in the contrast between verse 9 and verse 11. Notice in verse 9, it says, For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Contrast that to verse 11, which says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. What Paul is saying is he's talking about how we live, our actions. That when we act like Christians, it bears fruit, and that fruit functions as light to those who have fruitless deeds of darkness. What do I mean? Well, Remember Ed's testimony that we saw the video of earlier. What brought him out of darkness into light? Well, there were a couple of influences he mentioned. One of them was his friend named Jim, who was a quadriplegic. Jim not only shared the gospel with him, which he did. He also was living a life that was so full of joy that when Ed looked at his life, he said, my life is fruitless. And he looked at Jim's life and he says, his life is fruitful. And that was a way in which light was being shown in the darkness. And Ed was being drawn. I want that. Same thing with the family he told about. That it was only when he came in contact with a family who actually were living out their Christian faith. 
who were loving one another, who were respecting parents, who were going to church together? Did it open his eyes to the dysfunction he was experiencing in his own family? That their life, whether they know he was watching or not, functioned as light to him. That's what Paul's saying. Is when you do the things, these Ten Commandments of community, when you live this way, it functions as a light for people to see that the fruitlessness of their own lives. This is why when you're engaged in a small group and you're caring for one another and you're praying for one another and you're socializing together and you're sharing generously with each other and you're talking truthful with one another, you are being light that the people in your neighborhood are going to look and say, those are the kinds of relationships we want. And they'll look at their own life and go, my life is filled with vapid, empty relationships that are based on greed or based on materialism or based on popularity or gossip or whatever they might be. And then they see what's going on with your small group and go, I want that. That's being light. Same is true for your children as they're watching you do this small group together. That as they grow up and they go off to college or they get their job or whatever it is and they are being drawn into other kinds of relationships, they're going to say, but I want the kind of relationship my parents had. I want the kind of small group that I grew up in where we loved each other, where we were willing to be honest with one another, where we shared generously with one another. And that's going to be light to them. So the first thing Paul says is, look, if you want to be light... Go live your Christian life near those who are trapped in darkness so that they can see the light in your actions and be drawn to Christ. But there's another part of that. It's not enough just simply to live that way. Paul says we've got to say something. Verse number 11, when he says, rather expose them, The word he chose for expose is a word that has a verbal proclamation element to it. What he's saying is, is it not enough simply to be different and to be light in your actions? There comes a time in which you actually have to say something. When you actually have to name sin as sin. That it's not enough for me simply to not be engaged in sexual immorality and greed. You have to actually get up and preach the message. You actually have to say something. Look, that stuff is worthless. Now, you say, well, wait a second. Verse number 12 seems to say the opposite of that. That's what I thought when I read verse number 12 for the first time too. Because verse 12 says, it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Well, that might seem to think, well, we're not supposed to talk about these kinds of things. The more I studied it and the more I thought about it, I thought, but that can't be what this means. Because the Bible mentions more shameful acts than any other book in history. So it can't be that God doesn't want these shameful acts mentioned. So what does this passage mean? Well, the verse actually means that the disobedient are ashamed to even mention what they're doing in secret. And the point is, verse 12 supports what we're saying, is that whether you're a non-Christian or a Christian, there are people who have secret sin in their life. And like my friend in the email, they can't tell anybody. 
And what Paul is saying is that it's our job to come along and in kindness and in love, name that for what it is. Because all of us have things that we struggle with. All of us have things in our life. And when somebody is kind enough and loving enough to come alongside of us in the right way. And to call sin a sin. There's great power in that. There's great freedom. See, as long as the sin stays secret, as long as it's unnamed, it has great power. Paul says our job as Christians is to come in and name it. Remember, we're not focusing on the person. It's the activity. And when you come in, to be like constantly is for an adult parent to come alongside their grown child and to say, look, I love you, but what I see in your life is a commitment to work and money over your family. And it's destroying them. You have to name it as the sin of workaholism that it is. To be like constantly is to be willing to come alongside that small group member in private when the Lord gives you the opportunity in love and pull her aside and say, look, when you're constantly making fun of your husband in small group, that's damaging your relationship. She's gonna know there's something not quite right about the relationship with her husband when you have the courage and the kindness to name what it is, well, then you're being light and she can be rescued out of darkness. To be light constantly is to come alongside that young adult who seems to be aimless and purposeless and can't really find a job or hold down a job and is just wandering from one thing to the next. To be light to that person is to call it what it is. It's not trying to find yourself. It's the sin of laziness and self-centeredness. And as long as they remain in the fog of thinking, well, I'm just trying to figure out who I am and what I want out of life. God says, that's not how it works. If you orient yourself around what other people need and you serve them, suddenly you have purpose and you'll have purpose for all your life. And when you come along and in kindness say, look, I love you, but that's the sin of laziness and of self-centeredness then the person has the chance to be rescued. Because as long as it's unnamed, it'll enslave them. And you know, that's what I realized this week. We all love to share the positive, encouraging messages. We all love to say, God loves you. And it's true. And I'm glad we get to speak about that. But you know what? There's also incredible joy that can come when you have the courage to say, that's sin. And don't have anything to do with it. You know, I remember the person and the exact place I was when a Christian mentor had the courage to explain to me that there were certain inappropriate activities between a guy and a girlfriend that were not intercourse, but were still wrong. I thank God for that man and for that conversation. I think about my wife who has had the courage to help me identify a nameless thing in my life. And when you see it and someone loves you enough and works through it with you, there's great joy. I wouldn't be here today if she hadn't been willing to do that. I think about the man 
who had been given way to workaholism. And it was destroying his family and all his relations. He had no friends in his life. Work was everything and the only thing to him. And I know the joy that happened when someone came alongside of him and had the courage to name it for what it was and to work with him and the joy to see the beginning of the restoration of relationships in his life and to see the joy in the person who had the opportunity to be a rescuer. I think about the man who was allowing responsibilities to crowd out his participation in church and the person who came to him and said, look, I love you, but don't do this. This is not the right choice. Nothing's going to work out until you deal with this. And I know for a fact that both the person who confronted him and the person who was confronted, thank God for that conversation and thank God for being rescued out of that trap. I think about a specific young adult whose relationships were a train wreck. And the person who had the courage to come alongside of him and say, it's because of your insecurity and your pride. And you don't see it, but it is sabotaging everything that you do. Every time you open your mouth, it's killing any chance of having meaningful relationships. And I know that young man is very grateful that someone took the time to do that. I think about Ed Khalifi, whose testimony we saw this morning. Do you not think he rejoices that someone had the courage to be light to him? Do you not think that Jim and that family rejoice to see what God has done in Ed's life? Do we not? We as a church rejoice that God has used Ed so mightily here in our church. That's a result of someone being willing to be light to him. That's what Paul's talking about here. It's great to give the positive message. It's wonderful to come alongside someone and say, everything's all right. We love you. It's wonderful. But there's also something incredibly powerful and incredibly joyful in being honest with someone and saying, I love you. But there is darkness here. And that darkness is going to enslave you until you deal with it. You know, part of the reason I read you that email at the beginning of the sermon is because while it does make the point that it's very exciting to see people rescued, There's a part of me that's heartbroken that we weren't there 16 years ago to be able to tell her that. That we weren't there to be light to her to say, look, having sex before marriage, even if you're engaged, it's a train wreck. It's a bad idea. Nothing good comes out of that. And I was was reading that and thinking, why, Lord, why wouldn't you have let us preach this sermon back then? Why couldn't somebody have come along and said this to her? And what he said to me was, but there are people like that right now. There are people that you are sitting next to this morning who on the outside, everything looks perfectly fine. And on the inside, they are empty, separated from God trapped in sin and don't know how to, they don't even know what the problem is. They don't know how to name it. 
And when you and I come alongside of them, come alongside the people in our small group, come alongside the non-Christians in our neighborhood and have the courage to call it what it is and to say the reason you're trapped in darkness is because of this attitude of pride, this greedy action, these kinds of insecurity that's driving what you're doing, this sexual immorality, whatever it is. And we have the courage to do that. God says you're shining light into a dark place. And I agree, I admit, it's tough to do. It will not always be well received. But when God is in it, the joy of being rescued out of darkness and the joy of being a rescuer who helps somebody out of darkness, it's one of the great things that we're allowed to do as Christians. And so the eighth commandment of community that God gives to us is be light constantly. Let's pray together. God, almost everyone in this room, if we're honest, have been caught in darkness, both as non-Christians and as Christians. And Lord, in your mercy and grace, you sent along somebody to be light, not to interrogate us and condemn us and to blind us but to shine their light on the activities we're engaged in. Not to condemn us, but to help us. God, thank you for that. I thank you for the people in my own life who've done that. Lord, you and I both know I would not be here without that. Lord, help us to be those kinds of people to others. God, Satan tells us that the non-Christians in our lives are completely happy that they're completely satisfied. And if we tell them about Jesus, we'll make them miserable. Lord, forgive us for believing that lie. Open our eyes to see that the shameful secret things that they're engaged in, they're ashamed of. And they need someone with the courage and the love to come and shine that light. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here in that situation, that through this message or through the person sitting next to him this morning, you would shine light to rescue them from darkness. Lord, for those who are Christians here, who are living out the existence that my friend wrote about at the beginning of the sermon, being miserable physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, dead, sleeping, sleepwalking through life. God, would you help someone to come alongside and be light, rescue them from darkness. And God, for every person that's here this morning who is a believer walking with Jesus, Would you give us the courage to be light, that we might experience the joy that you experience, that to rescue a sinner from the error of their ways is to save someone from death and to know the joy of participating with you in what you're doing. Lord, give us those opportunities and please make us bold to take them. Help us to do it in love and in kindness and in the right way and after you guide us and direct us as to how to do it. But Lord, help us to be light. In Christ's name we pray, amen.